what God's character is. I think, I, I think I, I've actually done or I've actually gotten answers to some of the questions I had growing up. And this is where my topic comes in, just like I said, the nature of the Father. The Father's nature. Who is God? The nature of the Father. Who is God? Because um, I, I, I have to say this. We have to understand that God is faithful. He does not see us and become unfaithful. He's always faithful. That's God's character. It's a consistent character. And if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that would mean if God was the same yesterday, and if God is the same today, that would mean that you could know what the, the character of God would certainly be consistent tomorrow. So if God saves yesterday, He will still save today, and He will still save tomorrow. I don't know if you're getting me. So if God heals yesterday, or healed yesterday, he will still heal today, and he will still heal tomorrow. So, knowing the nature of God is very, very critical in our relationship with God. It would help us in our work with God. So, now, how can we know the nature of God? How is it possible to know the nature of the deity? Uh, glory be to God, the Bible says in uh, 1 Timothy 3, 16, that uh, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in flesh. So that would mean that God became flesh for him to be known, right? So God became flesh for him to be revealed. So in the that would mean that in the appearance of Jesus, we saw God. Hello? I, I don't know if you're following so In the appearance of Jesus, we saw God. We saw what God looks like. We saw how God acts or how God would act. Because this was also the confusion the Jews had. They expected God in a particular way because they have had so many experiences. And with the experiences, they wanted to carve out the image of God. You get? So if God is the same, that would mean that Jesus being the same would mean Jesus is the same in Nigeria, right? Jesus is the same in Syria, right? Jesus is the same in America. So, our experiences would not show us the actual nature of God. If we want to get or find out the nature of God, we would have to look at the character of Jesus, right? Because to the girl in Syria, uh, when you say God is good, and she has grown up her entire life, bombs dropping all around her, that statement might be hard to envisage in her mind. But for someone maybe in a developed country who maybe found things easy, when you say God is good, he might get to understand God is actually good. You understand? So in seeing or in knowing God, that would mean we'd have to look at the character of Jesus. We'd have to say he's God revealed in man. We'd have to look at the character of Jesus. So what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? If from what Jesus, if, if we have to, just like I've been saying, if, if we have to know God, we have to know him from what Jesus did, right? So what did Jesus do? Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Okay, first of all, I'd like us to open to Titus 1, uh, 1, 1, to 3. I'll be turning a lot of scriptures today, so... Titus, Titus 1, 1 to 3. So I'll, I'll be showing from the Bible who God is. Okay, Titus 1. Okay, let me start from here. Paul, the servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after Godliness, too. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So I want you, I want everybody to know this. The Bible here says that God cannot lie. So in the character of God, it would mean that anything that is in God's word is what God said, right? Anything in God's word, anything specifically he says with his mouth, he's not lying about it. That would mean the simple truth. Hello? Okay, so we are following. So now let's establish this fact in our head. 
So that would mean that if Jesus ever said a thing, then it can never be a lie. So if Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, that would mean that it can never be a lie, right? Okay? So to, to, to see the nature of God, we would have to look to the Savior, that's Jesus. So how? Who is the Savior? Look to uh, 8 to 11. Who is the Savior? Now we'd have to find out the Savior because Jesus, God, played a role as the Savior. Who is the Savior? Um, look to 8 to 11. Yes. Okay, look to, okay, it's, okay, and yeah, we are in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse 9. And look, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were so, so afraid. Verse 10. And the angel said, said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring good tidings and great joy, which shall be to all people. Verse 11. For unto you is born this day the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Right? So that would mean that Jesus is Savior. Jesus is the Christ that was born. And then let's go to uh, Acts 5.13. Acts 5.13. Please, I don't think I'm faster. So. Okay, Acts 5.13. Um, and the rest of those, no man joined himself to them, but the people magnified them. Okay, let's go down. Okay. Um, here. Okay, um, go to Acts uh, 13. Acts 13. Go to Acts 13, verse 22. Okay, and when he had removed him, he raised up unto David to be their king, and whom he gave testimony and said, I have, verse 23. Of this man's seed had God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel, Savior Jesus. That would mean from the two verses now we establish the fact that Jesus is Savior. And Practically, I told you that to know the nature of God, we'd have to know the man Jesus, the man Christ, right? So to know the nature of God, we'd have to know Jesus. So in 1 John 4.14, which we will not be reading, we'd also see that Jesus was called Savior then. So now the question is, what did Jesus come to save man from? Let's go to Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. The actual reason why I'm going through all these passages like this is so that we would see like this is the Bible talking, not me. So um, the actual thing is when you want to bring a, a proof for a particular thing that you just said, you would have to refer to the Bible because that's God's book, right? So um, it's not just something that I manufactured in my mind or it's not just something that I think. So, from God's book, we, we have to see in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So, he points out something that's very, very crucial. That uh, the wages of sin is death. That would mean the consequences of sin. And I would also like to point this out. Uh, this, when you read the book of Romans very well, and you read... Uh, Romans chapter 3, you understand that the death that Paul was talking about was the Adamic, uh, the, the, the sin Paul was talking about was the, was the Adamic sin, the sin that was committed in the Garden of Eden. So, particularly, what happened there is that man disobeyed God and they fell. So, they had this nature of sin. So, Paul would explain it like this that sin passed over all men that's from Adam. That would, that's why you would see someone like David uh, say that before I was conceived in my mother's womb, I was a sinner. That's particularly saying that when he was still in the womb that he was a sinner, he did not do anything to become a sinner. Hello? 
I don't know if you follow it. Okay, he, did, he practically did not do anything to become a sinner. That sin inherently was the nature. That sin is the nature of the fallen man. And then, the Bible tells us that the consequences of what Adam did is that every single person, since that sin is passing over all men, every single person who gets the sin as a result of being a human being, of course, would have this death, which is internal death. It's not practically someone falling down and dying. So the person would have this death. But tells us something specific again and specific information that but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So there is a gift. Tell your neighbor there is a gift. There is a gift. There is a gift. Eternal life through Christ Jesus. Okay. So most of the time when we see but that would mean that something changed, right? So even though the consequences of that sin was deserted, even though the, the, because most people think God is the one sending people to hell. No, their sins are sending them to hell. Because the consequences of sin, by default, is internal death. So what did the Savior come to do? As a result of the Savior coming, the Savior came to uh, take upon him our sins. Rightfully, we are supposed to pay for the sins, according to Romans 6.23. But now Jesus comes as a savior to show God's nature, that it was not God's plan that man perish or should perish. It was not God's plan that, um, that someone goes to hell. No, it is God's plan that the person be saved. And that's why Paul writes to Moses and says, For it is God's will that all men be saved. That would mean that in God's nature, we could see someone who gives a hand of help to the needy. We could see someone who, who gives hope to the hopeless. Because if we were to pay for our sins, which was impossible, or we were to be left to pay for our sins, which would be possible, we would all be headed to hell. And our inheritance would be this internal death. But then, then, what did Jesus do? That's uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 3. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? So, I don't also want us to lose track. Remember, I told you that in the nature of Jesus, we would know the nature of God. So, in what Jesus is doing, we can find what God is doing. So, if Jesus is saving people, that would, we will know that God is saving people, right? And God's nature is consistent. He's not schizophrenic. By schizophrenic, I mean he does not have double character. So, if he's saving, he's only saving. Hello? So if he's saving, he's only saving. If he's healing, he's, he's only healing. So Paul was declaring to the church in Corinth the gospel that he preached to them. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach, which also ye received and wearing this time. Verse 2. Okay. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preach unto you, or let ye believe in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I received, how Christ died for your sins according to the scripture. Verse 4. And that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scripture. So Paul calls this the gospel. Paul calls this the gospel that Christ uh, died and that he was buried and that on the third day he resurrected. So why did Christ have to do all those things? Remember in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. And then the Bible explained to us that Christ came as a propitiation for our sins. That's as a payment for that sin. Rightfully, uh, man or even everybody was we were just on the key to hell. But because of what Christ did, that God in man did, he, he gave an escape route, which is the gospel. And then, 
Paul is telling these people with all confidence and he's telling them that this gospel that he preached, that by this gospel that he preached, that Christ was uh, uh, died and he was buried, and on the third day that he resurrected, that by this gospel he's preaching, that they are saved, that they have that eternal life, which you will see in the other part of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is uh, death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Right? Okay. Um, uh, that's how is a man saved? Uh, let's go to Romans 10, 9 to 10. Romans 10, 9 to 10. Okay. Um, that if thou shalt confess. Okay, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Thou shalt be saved. So how is a man saved? By confessing with his mouth, right? The Lord Jesus, and by believing in his heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So saved from what? Saved from eternal death. Saved from condemnation. So, consistently we can notice that the nature of the Father is the role of a Savior. The role of a Savior. The role of a Savior. He comes to save a man who is on his way to hell. He comes to save or to give hope to that hopeless man who thinks that Oh, all is finished about this life. He consistently showed himself in, in Acts chapter 10, I think verse 38, the Bible would say how Jesus Christ of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Ghost and he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So consistently we would see that it is in the nature of God that he's doing good. Yeah. In his nature. He, he's, he, he's not killing people. I don't know if he got it. In his nature, he's not killing people. He's doing good. He's healing all who were oppressed of the dead. And then we could also see that if by the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, someone gets eternal life, that would mean that God is also giving life. Hello? Uh, the hall looks so silent. Okay. Well, I, I just hope you all are following. Okay. Um, so, that would mean that he's also giving life. He's giving life. He's giving people. Because to answer that question that uh, was raised in my mind, maybe at the age of five or anything, about what my peoples is. <laughs> the 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 yeah. That's the guarantee. 
And then Jesus, uh, when he was telling his uh, disciples about the comfort that he sent in John uh, 14, verse 16, he said that, uh, that I shall send you a comfort that who will do what, who will abide with you forever. He will send you a comfort that who will abide with them forever. And then in the preceding verses, you will see he tells them, Therefore, I shall not leave you comfortless. Because he's that comforter. And then when Christ died, and then he was buried, and then on the cross he rose again, and then he ascended up. His ascension was into our hearts. He came to indwell in our hearts. That's why he would tell the disciples that uh, oh no die, suffer this thing and enter into glory. There was no other glory than his entry. He had touched a sat on the throne. The glory was the heart of men. To enlighten the heart of men. To give hope to men. So that in the guarantee that once uh, you believe in his gospel, you believe in his nature, his true nature, which is that he died, was buried and resurrected for your sins. When you believe in this nature of God <coughs> that you're saved at that point. And at that point you have eternal life because eternal life is himself. He's that life. Yes. He's that life. So when, when we say we have eternal life, we are saying we have the spirit of God. As simple as that. We have the spirit of God. He, he, he told them he, in that same John 14, he, he told them that um, that in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then he told, he told them that he is going to prepare a place. And after he prepares that place, that he shall come to take them to himself. Notice, he didn't tell them to take you somewhere. Because most people have taken that part of the scripture as taking someone to heaven which would be the wrong interpretation because when you read down in the preceding verses, you know that the mansion, the mansion, the word mansion in Greek uh, means monet, which means an abode, a room, a room. So when he says in my father's house, there are many mansions, he's meaning that as at uh, when he would die and that when he would be, uh, that when he graduates, that he shall come and he shall ascend to their hearts. And then as a result of, of inhabiting them, they become his money, they become his abode. They become his house, the very house of God. So as we are seated now, we are God's money. We are God's abode. We are, we are God's house. He indwells in us. And then, the, the, the beautiful thing is that we are God's house forever. Because in, uh, he said that that comforter would abide how? Forever. In Ephesians 1.13, he said that uh, that same comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, shall be a seal of our salvation. That would mean the, the word seal there means stamp. He shall be proved to what he has promised. And what did he promise? That any man that believes in him, any man, any man that believes in him, he will come to indwell in that man. So how do I know the Father's nature when I look at Jesus? And I look at what he has done. The Bible says in John 3.16, for God so loved. So it's God's character. <coughs> and in his love, how would I know God's love? For God's so love was that he gave his only son. And not forgetting, he's that son. He gave his only son that whosoever believes in him, whosoever the bad guy is, whosoever the murderer of yesterday, whosoever the prostitute walking in the street, Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but that person would have everlasting life. 
So how would someone get to know God? By knowing Jesus. By knowing Jesus, I know what God would do. I know what God has done. Because it's most times confusing that uh, one thing the, the devil used to rob the church is the church not knowing the character of God. Maybe sickness comes. Maybe sickness comes and uh, then you're, you're, you're just double-minded about it. Is it God bringing sickness to me to teach me something? Or is it the devil? The few I know, if God wants to teach anyone something, he has a word to teach the person. Very true. Yeah. He does not bring sickness. Mm, very true. He will never bring sickness to teach you. <coughs> he will never. That's the devil's truth. What God does is to heal sickness. So when I know, oh, this is the devil, then I can face him completely, knowing that this is the devil after I don't go Because how will this revelation come? Because I knew the nature of the Father. I knew the nature of God. I know I have peace with God. Romans 5, says, therefore we have peace with God. True faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So I know I have peace with God. So God cannot be after me. God cannot be after me. If there is someone who is after me, it's the adversary, the devil. And I know how to deal with it. Because I'm a man in Christ. I now have God hidden. I now have God. I now understand. Okay, as a result of what Christ did, I wouldn't want these things to happen to me. What gives me boldness when I meet someone in the street? Because I know God is nothing so ever. So uh, the person is telling me, oh, my life is so messed up. I, I've done so many things. I'm like, whosoever. As Charles Podion would call it the whosoever gospel. Just come. He, he said something particularly. He said, if God is not um, shy or ashamed of justifying your God, that he's not ashamed of teaching you. If God decides to save anyone, and then says, whosoever believe, I'm not ashamed of preaching. I will see the mother and I'll preach to the mother. Because God is so interested in us knowing his nature for who he really is. And in knowing his nature, he transforms that man that gets to him. Let's take for example, um, imagine Paul standing in the book of sharing his testimonies, or the testimony of life. One particular thing of interest would be that in Paul's audience would be people he murdered their husbands. In Paul's audience would be people he made fatherless, brotherless. But they would sit down to this day. Because of this is a man whom God has transformed. Yes, sir. Yeah. On the way he, he met God. He heard God's voice. He heard God's voice. And he thought he was obeying God. But he, he, saw, he, he saw God. He saw God's nature. He knew, oh, this thing I've been doing was against God. So when a man sees God's nature, he sees God for who he really is. He sees God for who he really is. He's saving God, consistent with his words. Cannot lie. In, in Luke, in Luke uh, 24, verse 27, when Jesus appeared, he, he mentioned something that that struck me. Something very particular. He said, uh, "Beginning from Moses and the prophets, they expounded things concerning me." That would mean that in the Old Testament, Jesus was talked about. Yes, he was talked about. In the New Testament, he was talked about. That word expounding is the same word used in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14 when Paul was explaining the interpretations of tongues. So that would mean that in 
this just the same way you have to interpret the tongue for someone to understand. That same way, the scripture ha has to be explained as Genesis to Malachi. The scripture has to be explained for you to understand. Oh, this is where Jesus. Okay, this is what Jesus was doing. Okay, this is Jesus doing this. Because that would confuse you. Most of the events that happen in the Old Testament, you think, oh, this is God doing this here. Oh, this is God doing this here. And then you feel God's character is not consistent. And then in verse, nearing uh, the end of verse 45 down, Jesus opened the scripture, teaching them from the scripture. That when they mean the scripture, they mean the Old Testament. Because at that time, the New Testament was not written. That when they mean the scripture, they mean the scripture. So he opened that scripture and was showing them, oh, this is me here. Because in the scripture, the devil talked. In the scripture, drunkards talked. Human beings talked. And then God talked. So God had to open the scriptures and say, oh, this is me here talking. The spirit of Christ that spoke to the prophets. So at some points and at some, at some instances, Christ was speaking. For example, the, the stories you see in the Old Testament is even about creation and then that of Abraham. For example, when Abraham wanted to offer his child Isaac, uh, wanted to offer his child Isaac as a, sac uh, as a sacrifice unto God, he said something particular when Isaac asked him, what sacrifice are you doing? He said something, the Lord provide himself a sacrifice. The Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. He was prophesying about Jesus. The Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. So in the events in the Old Testament, the gospel was being preached. The gospel was being preached. From right from Genesis, the gospel was being preached. And then you read Genesis 1, you see, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then in verse 15, you go down, you would also see where the Bible says that the moon and the sun uh, was created. Does it? The green light was created sometimes. And then you now see John, an apostle of Jesus, explain what that light is. John 1. In the beginning, he started with in the beginning. So he had to explain the scriptures for you to see, oh, that is the gospel being preached today. That is the gospel being preached there. Paul would say, for the glorious light of the gospel will be shown in their hearts. So that light there was the gospel being preached. Mm -hmm. So from the beginning, God has been consistent about his plan. He was not confused. He wasn't caught on our He has been consistent about how he would save man. And the beautiful thing is how he would dwell in man. So in dwelling in man, he reveals himself to you. He reveals his actual nature. In having his spirit, we have, we, we have his nature. You know, we are joint heirs with Christ, right? Mm -hmm. We are joint heirs with Christ. So we are shared of the spirit. That's why we have fellowship with him. That's why this is not a social fellowship. This is a fellowship because we have the indwelling of the spirit in us. So we fellowship with God. We fellowship with God. Because we have the nature. We have known God for whom we We have not known God from myths. We have not known God from um, ordinary stories. We have known him because he has chosen or he chose to reveal himself in his son. So now, the man who has known God has seen the nature of God. That man has Jesus. He has Jesus. He has Jesus. He has God's own life. He has Jesus. Because he knows the nature of God now. You know, the beautiful thing. I don't think most times you understand that God chose to reveal himself to us. So we are not confused. We are not praying to the sky. We are praying to a God who has chosen to reveal himself to us. 
not that he just revealed himself to us. He also gave us his spirit as an assurance, as, as a seal for what he has done. So no one is coming to undo what God has done. No one is coming to undo the salvation. But then there is one critical thing also would note. Uh, let's open to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. 8 to 9.
has always been God's plan in the world. And it's so beautiful that as we have listened to this thing we, and we believe it, we, we also become God's children and God's man. And in 1 John 3, verse 1, the Bible says, uh, What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? He said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now, now, what in the future? Now are we the sons of God. Now, now are we the sons of God. Now, at this particular moment, are we sons of God? Are we children of God? So we are not meant to be afraid or, or, or tossed around by anything. We, are not, we, 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 we know we are yeah. believe God. It's, it's, it's a huge thing. The way I see it, I see that it gets in the life. The fact that I believe God. The fact that I believe God. I believe God. I believe God. I believe God. Oh. He took time to come down to explain himself to me. That's a privilege. That's a big, big privilege. That's a big, big privilege. And now, what is our duty? Since we have received this Holy Spirit of promise, and since we have this seal of our salvation, which is the Spirit of God, which is still Christ in us, since we have it, the Bible says in uh, in the second Corinthians 5, starting from verse 15, that, that we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. The ministry to reconcile lost men to Christ. To give them this same news we have received. When we share our, our story, our story will get to streamline down to the fact that Christ's life was buried and resurrected. And at the moment of believing that, that person is saved. So we, we, we now have the duty to tell people, we now have the duty to tell the world. To tell the world. God's nature. We are not confused about God's nature. We now have that same duty to tell the world, oh, this is God's nature. And that if you believe in this gospel, you'll be saved. Because we have known God. We know what he can do. We have believed God. So it's our duty as believers to take this gospel to the street. And when maybe in your normal daily activities, if you one day you're moving with your car, you just pack it by the side and talk to one person. You tell him, Oh, Christ died, was very directed for your sins. And at that point, as you're talking to that person, you're changing that person's life. You're giving that person's life because you just shared the gospel. The greatest news in this world. The greatest news in this world. So, um, I'm done. I'm done.